You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we begin our summer series. Thanks, Angie, for this uh, beautiful artwork, by the way, in the Proverbs. Uh, Our summer series, Exploring the Proverbs. We're not going to make it through all the Proverbs here on Sunday, but again, you will in your own time. And we've titled this sermon series, Get Wisdom. Get Wisdom. It's actually a phrase that's repeated multiple times throughout the Proverbs. So go ahead and turn to your neighbor and kindly tell them, get wisdom. All right, that sounds like more than get wisdom. So let's rein it back in here. (laughs) Meet and greet was earlier. So the Bible says that every single person, without exception, requires wisdom, and anyone can find it if we seek it correctly. Thankfully, we are not left to figure it out on our own. God has provided us with the wisdom literature. We looked at Ecclesiastes uh, last year, I believe it was. Now we're looking at the Proverbs, which teach us how to acquire wisdom and how to live wisely in God's world. The Proverbs are going to challenge us. Be ready to be challenged. The Proverbs are going to guide us. And I want to be really specific here with this use of the word guide. Proverbs are not promises for success. Okay? Even this talk of like, in like Proverbs 3, for instance, peace and long days that come for those who seek wisdom. You could seek wisdom today and die on the way home. God is still his promise keeper. So these are not promises for success, but principles that we want to live by. This is guidance in godly wisdom. The Proverbs are going to perplex us. We're going to read something here, and then we're going to read something else over here, and you're going to be like, wait, what? That's good. That means you're doing it right. And as one commentator, Derek Kidner, put it, the the Proverbs are even intended to get under your skin. If you're not a little bit bothered by the end of this series, you weren't paying attention. It's going to mess with you. It's going to poke at you. It's going to challenge you. And specifically, it's going to challenge us in our foolishness. Now, today, we live in the era of the master class. You ever heard of the master class? Let me read their quote here. Whether it be in business and leadership, photography, cooking, writing, acting, music, sports, and more, master class delivers a world-class learning experience for $15 a month, you can master anything and everything. They provide best practices and tools from some of the leading people in a number of fields so that you can be the best at your craft. Carlos Santana in the guitar. Naomi Campbell in modeling. Who wants to be a model? Well, you can learn that. 
Samuel L. Jackson, acting, and on and on and on. Building a startup, how to be a comedian, growing in your leadership, how to become a writer, how to be a model, how to be a gardener, how to barbecue. All these different areas, there are so many ways to craft our skills in the area of career and sports and cooking. But what about life? What about life? What about living well? How invested are we right now as individuals, as a church community, and as a culture in crafting the skill of living? As one theologian summarized it, Proverbs is about growing in the skill of living. What's this book about? It's about growing in the skill of living. And this is, if you will, Solomon's masterclass on living well. Verse 1, the Proverbs, Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. King Solomon writing to, at the time, Israel's youth. Some commentators believe that it was actually particularly the royal youth, the up-and-coming future leaders and kings and nobles of Israel, but it's readily accessible to all who desire to learn. Isn't this amazing that something that was written over 2,500 years ago is still being discussed and recited today? And so many generations before us, and if God tarries, so many generations to follow will learn from these same words. And I believe, and I would urge you to listen up, to listen up, because our instructor Solomon was the wisest man in all of the land. We're told in Second Chronicles that God appeared to Solomon and he said, ask what I shall give to you. Ask in a very unique way that none of us should expect of God, by the way. God essentially says, your wish is my command. And of all the things he could have asked for, Solomon says in 2 Chronicles, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you. And have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you and none after you shall have the like. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Maybe a little moment to do an assessment of our prayer life. What is it that we're asking for? God is pleased with this prayer, clearly. So here's the direction for today. We're going to ask and answer four simple questions. What is wisdom? Why is wisdom important? Who is wisdom for? And finally, how do we become wise? So first, what is wisdom? Look with me again in verses 2 through 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So we are given the aim of this book. This is Solomon's hope 
for any reader of the Proverbs, anyone who is journeying toward wisdom, his goal for us is this, to know, to understand, to receive, to increase in learning, to increase in these character qualities of righteousness, justice, and equity. And it begins with this phrase, to know. To know. This is a very important phrase because in the Hebrew it's yada, and it's so much more than just intellectual knowledge like, oh, I know the answer to that. To know, yada, is experiential knowledge. Let me put a fine point on it. Genesis 4, verse 1, and Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. I don't think they use this phrase anymore, but I remember growing up, people would say, oh, they knew each other in the biblical sense, you know. <laughs> we know what that means. It's a kind of knowing that's hands-on. Sorry to go there. It's practical. It's applicable. I got one laugh over there on the left. It's tangible. It's relational. Right? You don't get justice and equity apart from relational wisdom. In fact, later in Proverbs, we read this in verses 20 through 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. So Solomon describes wisdom as something that resembles street smarts much more than book smarts. The kind of knowledge that comes from the school of hard knocks. Tried and true knowledge. Knowledge that comes with some scars. Knowledge that's seen a thing or two. One commentator said, wisdom is a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems. Man, we need to grow in that. And the skill to handle them when they present themselves. So sometimes you're going to be able to avoid problems. Other times, you're not. And you're going to need wisdom for both. So secondly, what is why is wisdom important? Why is wisdom important? Well, one of the pesky myths that exists specifically in our time, in our generation, is this. That the more information that you acquire, the more wise that you become. The more that you learn, the wiser that you will be, and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, this is good news. As Barry Schwartz put it, the good news is that you don't need to be brilliant to be wise. You don't need a degree in this or that. You don't need a certain sort of like cognitive level. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room to be wise. You don't need brilliance to be wise. The bad news, however, he says, is that without wisdom, brilliance isn't enough. It's as likely to get you into trouble and other people into trouble as anything else. Information without wisdom is a hazard to your life and to the people around you. To just know and not be wise to know what to do with that is going to get you in trouble. Look at all of the scandals that we read about and hear about on a national level. Really smart people doing really stupid and harmful things. Now, dumb people can do foolish things, but smart people can too. You can be the smartest person in the room. You can have the most education. You can have the most credentials. You can have the most certificates. You can have like 10 letters next to your name on that fancy email that you send out and still be, as the Proverbs describe, a fool. 
a pig-headed, haphazard, reckless threat to yourself and to the people around you? Fool. Now, I had a teacher who I, I remember, she said all kinds of crazy off-the-wall things. But I do remember her specifically saying all the time, she would always say, well, knowing's half the battle. And often, I really had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> like, I don't know why you said that, but it stuck. Knowing's only half the battle. And I think I get it today. Wisdom does begin with learning. Don't get me wrong. Wisdom does involve being well-informed, but it then must become knowing what to do with that information. That's a helpful way of describing righteousness, a word that's found in this proverb and elsewhere in the scriptures that's doing the right thing in the right way for the right reasons, righteousness. And he calls it wise dealing. I love that word, wise dealing. In other words, knowing how to deal with what you know. I have found a helpful question in asking people, like, what are you going to do about it? I, I hear statements from people all the time, and my new favorite question is, okay, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, I don't know. That's why I came to you. No. What are you going to do about it? The right thing can be said or done in the wrong way, and guess what happens? It just becomes the wrong thing. How many times in my life I had the clearest vision for what the right thing was, and then I screwed it up on the execution, and it was just like all screwed up. I was like, okay, that was all lost. I had this amazing lesson that I was going to teach my children, and then it just came out as a mess, or I lost my temper, and then it was totally lost. I'm like, well, there goes that. Information alone is not capable of producing the character qualities that are listed here. Righteousness, justice, equity. Now notice that two out of those three words are really buzzwords in our society today, justice and equity. Solomon was teaching about these things long before any of us. But I want you to notice something here. Righteousness, justice, and equity are paired together. You don't get to take two out and leave another. It's all or nothing. Righteousness, justice, equity. Now we live in what is called, maybe it's not even called that anymore, but what was called the information age. We have access to unlimited information. There is no longer that sort of struggle to search to know something. I still even remember from my high school years, going to the library was the worst. Like the, drawer, the wooden drawer with the index cards and then the librarian that would always say, well, go back and read it again. Just, I want you to go back and try it again. Now, there's just like a split second between having a question and then knowing the answer to it. We're not being formed. We're not forming patience in the process of learning. We're not forming perseverance in the process of learning. We're not forming character in the process. In fact, with all of the new possibilities, and I am going there, with all of the new possibilities in AI and the ability to cut corners and have AI, listen up youth, I know you're sitting right here in the hot seat right now, having AI write your paper for you, we are undermining character right now. Is technology bad? No. What we do with it bad? Yeah. 
And we are not, we're not only are um, undermining character, but we are now outsourcing the steps that typically form us. We're not being formed. Well, I guess I should say, what are we being formed into? Despite access to all this information, you could make a pretty good case that we are not better off. For many of us, in fact, the more that we are informed, the more anxious that we become. The more that we know, the more depressed we are. The more that we know, the harder time we have going to sleep at night. The more that we know, the more afraid we are to go outside. The more that we know, the more we're afraid to be together in an enclosed space. The more that we know, the less that we trust people. Despite all of this information, we're not wiser. We're not wiser. In fact, what seems to be happening is the more information we acquire without knowing how to, and I'll press this point, deal with it, how to deal with it, the more trouble we get in and the further we drift from true wisdom. Why is wisdom important? As Maria Popova put it, wisdom, I'm sorry, information is increasingly cheap and wisdom is increasingly valuable. Information is cheap. Wisdom is increasingly valuable. Wisdom is a vanishing quality that is desperately needed in an increasingly foolish world. So then third, who is wisdom for? If this is the vision for wisdom, if it's so important, then who is wisdom for? Well, being that this is the introduction to the Proverbs, Solomon, again, he's stating things very clearly for us here. He is telling us who, is in, who wisdom is intended for. Verse 4, it's intended for the simple. Verse 4, it's intended for the youth. Verse 5, it's intended for the wise. And then he does this sort of jacked up thing and intentionally tells us in verse 7 who it is not for. Wisdom is not for the fool. Solomon is not interested in throwing pearl to swine, and evidently Jesus says we shouldn't be either. So here's your permission in your life. You don't need to tolerate foolishness. You heard it here. You don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you don't have the bandwidth to abide foolishness. I don't have time for that. So who is wisdom for? You guys still with me? Okay. Wisdom, first, is for the simple. The simple. Now, at first sight, this doesn't seem like a very encouraging category. Who would, like, throw up their hand when I say, who here is simple? <laughs> like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> no one wants to be considered simple. Simple means, well, like, you hear phrases like, well, don't mind them. They're a little bit simple, you know. They're a little slow on the uptick, you know. It means unsophisticated. It means plain. It means basic. Basic. Basic is like the, the biggest fear of our generation is being basic. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there was a commercial that came on selling lawn furniture. Lawn furniture. And they asked the question, do you want your backyard to be basic? And there I am working out. I'm like, no, I don't. Like it stirred something deep within me. I don't want a basic backyard. I don't want to be basic. Now, simple is not the best, but it's not the worst. It can mean simple-minded. It can meaning lacking wit, but it also means naive. It means impressionable. It means that you're easily influenced, which, again, the word naive, that kind of carries negative connotations, but it's actually a very neutral word. It just means 
that you are moldable, that you are open. And I actually think that this is a good quality, especially because the Bible describes God as the potter and us as the clay. I want to stay moldable. I want to stay moldable. And unlike the fool who is stubborn, obstinate, hard-headed, and set in their ways, don't ever become the person that says, I'm just set in my ways. The Bible says, watch out. Watch out. The simple are open, they're flexible, they're moldable. Now, someone who is impressionable is going to easily be negatively impacted, right? Like, you can start believing all kinds of crazy things. There are sometimes people that come to me and like, hey, I'm like reading this new book about Christianity, and it's by like some sort of fringe author. I'm like, uh, well, like, let, how about C.S. Lewis instead? Like, trusted and true. Let's go back to the basics here. Mere Christianity. So having a, a simple mind means that we can be caught up into some strange fringe things. And there's danger with it. And it means that we need to watch out and be careful of the company that we keep and the voices that we're listening to. We as parents are so obsessed about monitoring what our kids are watching and listening to, right? No E's next to those songs on Spotify. But when was the last time we vetted our stuff? Oh, it's just Joe Rogan. Okay. When was the last time we vetted what we're listening to as adults? But someone who is impressionable can also, here's the redeemable quality, they can be influenced positively. The simple are open to learn, they're open to receive instruction, they're open to guidance. This is the most redemptive quality of the simple. They are teachable. And as a pastor, I can tell you, as someone that's been at this for a while, that this is probably one of the most attractive qualities to someone who aspires to leadership and wants to be discipled. Are you teachable? I will take teachable over almost any other quality. Teresa of Calcutta said, listen and be teachable. And I love this. For as long as you are green, you can grow. As long as you are green, you can grow. Who's wisdom for? Secondly, wisdom's for the youths. I didn't even plan this. This is perfect. The youth. Now, I appreciate this because age, listen to me, age is not a prerequisite for wisdom, and neither is age a guarantee for wisdom. There are plenty of gray-haired fools. Are you guys comfortable with my use of fool today? It's a script biblical word. Every time I say fool, everyone's just like, oh, God. There are plenty of gray-haired fools, and there are plenty of young fools as well. Proverbs show us that God's vision for his people growing in wisdom should begin in our earliest years before anyone else we know is thinking about it. I can't, I can't tell you how many times someone said, like, you need to plan early for retirement. If you're waiting until your 30s or in your 40s, you're waiting too long. You need to plan early for retirement. But who's planning early for wisdom? Who's planning early for wisdom? Now, What naturally comes with youth is the belief that you already know everything. This is a liability. And I want to be loving as a father of youth and tell you, you don't know as much as you think you know. Like, you live in a generation where your parents are probably not going to tell you that. So I will just tell you that for you. You're not as smart as you think you are. You do not know 
what you think you know. And I'm telling you this from experience, the hard way. Let me give you my life journey in just a few brief statements. In my teens, I thought I knew everything. In my 20s, I was an even bigger idiot because I reinforced those beliefs thinking and doubling down, yeah, I really do know everything. Then in my 30s, I got my butt kicked. And I realized, oh crap, I guess I don't know as much as I think I know. And now I've got to spend this whole decade undoing all of that pride so hopefully one day in my 40s, I can learn maybe one or two things. That's my life journey so far. Don't make the same mistake as me. We are a young church. We're an extremely young church. Let me, let me give you some stats. The largest demographic of our church is between the ages of 26 to 35. If that sounds young, that is significantly older than our earliest years as a church, when our highest demographic was between the ages of 18 to 25. If you were 30, you were hecka old. <laughs> if you were 30, you were like, how's retirement treating you? Like, so in the days of our youth, God is calling us to take serious what most of our friends aren't even thinking about, what most of our coworkers are not thinking about, what most of our classmates and our neighbors aren't even thinking about, to be set apart and holy, or the word sanctified in this world through wisdom. Even in our teen years, God is inviting you to become wise beyond your years. You know, we read through the Gospels, and we see a lot about Jesus' birth, his, like, baby toddler age, and then we see, obviously, a lot, like, between roughly the ages of 30 to 33, but what about Jesus' youth? As far as I can tell, there's, like, one passage that briefly talks about Jesus' youth, and it's found in Luke 2, and we have this description. And the child grew and became strong, filled with what youth? Wisdom. Wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Aspire to be like Jesus in your youth. What is discipleship? It's being with Jesus. It's learning from Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus. Let's become like Jesus even in our earliest years. But this also speaks to us as parents today. Isn't it interesting how we as parents teach our children how to do all sorts of things, how to throw a ball, how to do their laundry. I'm telling you right now, parents, game changer day when you teach your kids how to do their laundry. Your life will never be the same. We teach our kids how to do laundry. We teach them how to mow the lawn. We teach them how to uh, turn in their homework, how to write a resume, how to drive a car. But how does teaching our children to be wise fit into our parenting? How intentional are we in training up our children in biblical wisdom? For the covenantal people of God, that Solomon was originally writing to. This was not a trivial thing. This was non-optional. The idea of wisdom was life and death. And every other kind of training, every other kind of teaching was second to training a child in wisdom. Wisdom's for the youth. Third, who's wisdom for? Wisdom is for the wise. There are always new possibilities to growing in wisdom, especially for the wise. Be cautious. Be warned right now. Be cautious of the person who claims that they're already wise. When I hear this phrase, I got alarms going off inside. Because it's 
The careless fool, we're told, that despises wisdom and thinks that they have no more room to grow in wisdom. It just honestly, you just answer this to yourself. Like, do a little assessment. What was your initial response when we invited the whole church to read through the book of Proverbs three times this summer? I've been there, done that. I've already read the Proverbs. Got to memorize Proverbs 18. Don't be a fool, man. That was a little inside to my own heart, actually. Sorry. But literally, what, or, or seriously, what, what, was, what was your response to this invitation to read through the Proverbs this summer? Was it indifference? Like, nah, I don't need that. What I found is that the wise are typically the last people to know about it. The wise are wise because they always acknowledge their need for wisdom. What makes someone wise, according to the scriptures, is that they are continually seeking wisdom. The wise person heeds this instruction, get wisdom. Proverbs 18 says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Who's wisdom for? It's for the wise, the ever-growing wise. Now, let's look finally at this final question. How do we become wise? If you think about it, this is a pretty compelling vision. I mean, to, to become wise, to be a morally upright and just person, to be skilled in the art of living, like this is a universally celebrated idea. Who doesn't want this? And so we ask, what do I need to do? Sign me up. Give me the steps. What are the best practices? Show me now the method to becoming a wise person. And Solomon says, whoa, whoa, whoa not so fast. He says in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of the Lord. So evidently, true wisdom and knowledge are not acquired through the right methods. Evidently, wisdom only comes through a right relationship with God. Wisdom could be defined as bringing your entire life into alignment and harmony with God our Creator. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, which means a worshipful reverence in our devotion to God. It means loving and obeying God over everything else. And so if this is true, I believe that the reason that we then struggle to obtain wisdom, the reason that we give in to foolishness and sin in our life is because we do not fear the Lord as we should. Worship is first, I'm sorry, wisdom, I gave it away there, wisdom is first a worship issue. It's not an information issue, it's a worship issue. Listen to how the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 describes it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what we see even from the very beginning all the way back to Adam and Eve and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to seek knowledge and wisdom apart from God only drives us further into foolishness. Wisdom comes through a right relationship with God, and we can't even begin to understand what a right relationship with God is apart from Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, 
Jesus is teaching, and he begins to talk about the wisdom of Solomon, a universally beloved figure, especially in the Jewish culture, Solomon. And he's talking about how even, you know, Solomon was so wise that even the queen of the south, known as the queen of Sheba, traveled all these miles to come be near such wisdom and just hear it firsthand. And his listeners would have been listening. Okay, we are agreeing on this. But then Jesus says this wild thing. He makes this claim in Matthew 12 of himself, and he says, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. Jesus came to offer to us something greater than Solomon ever could. Not just words to the wise, but as John 1 would tell us, the word of God, the wisdom of God, that became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace, full of mercy, full of healing, full of forgiveness, who would die and then rose again on the third day in order to offer us new life, new hearts, new minds. Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is now yours in Christ Jesus, a brand new way of thinking. And all to those of us who are otherwise fools. Apart from Jesus, we are dead in our sins. Apart from Jesus, we are following the foolish course of this world. Apart from Jesus, we are stuck in our ways. Apart from Jesus, we're slaves to sin. Apart from Jesus, we are destined to foolishness. Apart from Jesus, wisdom is always going to be out of reach. Always out of reach. But the New Testament tells us this. And because of him, speaking of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as the Proverbs say, the fool rejects wisdom. And as the New Testament shows us, true foolishness is then to reject Jesus. The fool rejects Jesus. Godly wisdom is not something that you stumble into. Godly wisdom is not something that you earn through experience or time. Godly wisdom isn't even something that you acquire through your religious devotion. The Bible tells us that a journey to wisdom leads us directly to Christ. Colossians 2. All the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A journey for wisdom leads us directly to Jesus. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it's the knowledge of God that is now revealed to us in Jesus Christ that grows us to love and obey and fear the Lord as we should. So it's the fear of the Lord, through the fear of the Lord that we know Jesus, and through our knowing of Jesus, we appropriately fear the Lord. This is a call to not just know who God is, not just acknowledge his existence. The call to acquire wisdom is a call to know Jesus. But first, wait, what is knowledge? What is yada? It's not intellectual knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. This is the call, to experience Jesus intimately, in love, in nearness, 
in devotion and surrender. Let me say it one more time. A journey to wisdom leads us directly to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. My prayer for us is that we would grow in this Christ-centered wisdom this summer. And by the way, it's not too late to jump on the Proverbs reading plan. Day four. You got this. Father, we thank you for the wisdom.